Have you ever looked at your life and questioned God? You ever thought, God, is this really your will for my life? Is, is what I'm going through, this, this trial I'm in, is this pain that I'm feeling really what is best for me? You ever ask the question, God, what are you doing in my life? Why are you allowing this to happen? Why do I have to go through this? Surely this is not plan A when it comes to your will for my life. Surely this is plan C, D, or E at best, right? You ever feel that way? Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 25. We are continuing our, our series through Acts this morning. And uh, today, of course, we're picking up where we left off last week. We left Paul in Caesarea once again. And when you think about Paul in custody in Caesarea, you can't help but ask these types of questions. I mean, think about it. Paul was one of the most gifted apostles to ever live. God had used him to take his, his gospel message to plant churches all over the known world. Yet he allows for him to remain in custody in Caesarea for two years. And throughout the rest of this book, the book of Acts, Paul is in custody on his way to Rome. I mean, think about it. For almost a third of the book of Acts, Paul is a prisoner. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about Paul being locked up for a, an extended period of time, I want to question God a bit on this. I mean, think about the incredible things that God could have done in and through Paul during this two-year period. I mean, just think about his few short years in Ephesus. You remember that? In Acts 19, we learned that Paul ministered there for a few years and we're told that during his time there all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord both Jews and Greeks and revival broke out in this pagan city and this happened most places Paul went so when we hear about Paul being arrested and held up in Caesarea for two years it should really cause you to ask the question why why did God allow for this to happen? Why was this a part of God's plan? Again, we have a tendency to ask this about ourselves, right? Maybe you're here this morning and you're asking those kind of questions. Maybe you're going through a, a dark and, and difficult time in your life. Maybe you've been faithful to do what God has called for you to do. And trials have still come and they've knocked you off track. We have a tendency during those times to ask why, don't we? Why? Why, God? Why now? Why, why me? I've been faithful to serve you. Why is this happening to me? We often ask that. And we should ask that of Paul here. Now, we know that this portion of the book of Acts that we're now in is an important portion of Scripture. We know Paul being detained and falsely accused and tried and then sent on to Rome is an important part of the story. And the reason why we know this is because Luke, again, spends eight chapters of the 28 in the book of Acts talking about it. All right? So why is it important? 
Why does God allow this to happen to Paul? Why does Luke spend almost a third of the book talking about this? Well, there have been a few different reasons given as to why, but One that I believe, personally, one of the reasons I believe we have this detailed account here of Paul being detained is to remind us, the readers, that God is the hero of this story. God is the hero of the book of Acts. We've talked about this, right? And the Holy Spirit, through Luke, highlights us for us in this book. Though Paul has been used in awesome ways for God and for his glory, God is the power behind Paul's great ministry. And and Paul even makes mention of that more than a few times, does he not? And God continues to prove that he is the hero of this story in the years Paul is in custody and after Paul dies as well, right? Because he continues to work in this great way. When we looked at Paul's journey to Jerusalem, remember we said he stopped off at certain places where the gospel was thriving, places where Paul hadn't ministered. Remember when he got to Jerusalem, James and the other elders say, God's doing an awesome work here. We know Paul didn't minister there, right? Though Paul was one of the greatest Christians to ever live, though he was one of the most faithful and fruitful of apostles in the New Testament, God didn't need Paul. As great as an apostle as he was, he didn't need him. Now, he loved him. He had saved him. He had called him out. He had set him apart. He commissioned him. He delighted in using him, but he didn't need him. And the same is true of you. Same is true of me. Another reason I believe Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, records what he does for us here in Acts 21 through 28 is also to showcase the great providence of God. We've seen this already, and we are going to certainly see this in our passage today and in the chapters to come. Paul, while he is in Jerusalem, while he is detained in Caesarea and on his way to Rome, is faced many times with difficult and sometimes seemingly impossible circumstances. And time and time again, we see God come through for him. And the way in which God often works is through providence, in and through people and circumstances that he has allowed for and and things that he has put into place. And get this, this is good for you and me to remember as well when we go through difficult times. When you go through storms and trials in this life, you're to remember that God is in the midst of the mess and he is at work and he is there to show you, believer, and to show me his presence and to highlight and showcase his great providence in the midst of trials in the midst of the storms of this life that's what he's doing we see that throughout scripture have you ever had someone come to your aid and you call that person a godsend you ever use that that's correct that's correct doctrinally Though God allows for us to go through difficult times, he also works in and through people to provide comfort for us in the midst of difficult circumstances. And he works to provide care for us and to bring us out. And when he does, he wants us to look to him and praise him and trust him all the more in light of this great work. Well, 
in this section of Acts, we see God working in this way a lot in the life and ministry of Paul. Again, we especially see that in the first 12 verses of Acts 25. In this passage, the deck is stacked against Paul. But we're going to see that God stays true to his word and delivers Paul out of the hands of his enemies. Remember, the Lord appeared to Paul in Acts chapter 23 while he is at Fort Antonia in Jerusalem under the watchful eye of the Romans. The Lord appeared to Paul there, and he told him, just like you've been a witness for me in Jerusalem, you're going to make it to Rome, and you're going to be my witness there. And we learned that though there was a private plot made to, to take Paul's life in Jerusalem, Paul was saved and sent from Jerusalem on down the road to Caesarea. And though a group of influential religious leaders with the hotshot prosecuting attorney traveled to Caesarea and tried to falsely accuse Paul and persuade Felix that Paul was a threat to the Roman Empire because he was an enemy of Rome and an enemy of the Jewish people all over the known world, Paul once again is spared. And we're going to see God continue to keep Paul safe once again in our passage for today, though the deck is stacked against him once again. So what I want to do this morning is I want to look at this passage of Scripture, and I want to highlight for you God's great hand of providence in the life of his apostle. I want to show you how God rescues Paul again through certain people and through the certain circumstances in Paul's life. And the way I want to do this is by highlighting for you several difficult circumstances that Paul is faced with in this passage. And I want us to look at how God works in and through people in circumstances to spare Paul each time. First, I want you to notice this. The issue of Festus replacing Felix. That's the first point here. The first problem Paul is faced with is the replacement of a Roman leader. The replacement of a Roman leader. Look at verse 1. Now, three days after Festus had arrived in the province. Now, let's stop there for just a minute. Notice here there's been a change in leadership from the passage we looked at last week. From Felix to Festus. Felix has been replaced. Remember, he was not a good leader. We talked about this last time. What we know of Felix from extra-biblical historical sources, very little, if anything, good is, is written about him in those sources. He was not well-liked. He was not doing a good job of keeping things peaceful in Judea. So he is replaced by Festus. And Festus, we learn, was a good leader. What we know about him from history was that he was a good administrator. First century historian Josephus said this of Festus. He said that he was a much better governor than the one who came before him and the one who followed. He was much better than Felix and Albinus who came after. The problem with Festus is that he didn't rule very long. He died just two years in through his rule, but, but he was a mover and shaker while he was in, in rule there, in office there in uh, Caesarea, much different than Felix. We're going to learn pretty quickly that Paul is not going to be allowed 
to sit any longer in Caesarea on Festus's watch. Another problem Paul is faced with with Festus is Festus didn't know Paul. He didn't know Paul. Remember, he had spent two years with, with Felix, and we said last week, we kind of get an idea from the text that, that Felix was, he liked Paul a bit. You know, he brought his wife to come hear from Paul. He had many meetings with Paul over the couple years that Paul was in his custody. And though he rode the fence because he was trying to appease the Jews in Jerusalem by keeping him in custody in Caesarea, and though he him hauled around when, when Paul shared God's gospel message with him, Paul had a good situation in Caesarea under Felix. So the replacement of a Roman leader poses potential problems for Paul. But we're going to learn as we continue, God is going to keep his word and we're going to see his great work of providence in Paul's life to get him up out of that situation and down the road to Rome. Another difficult circumstance that Paul is faced with is this, point number two, the hatred of the Jewish religious leaders. The hatred of the Jewish religious leaders. Look at the end of verse 1 and end of verse 2. Festus went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea, and the chief priest and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul. So notice we already see a difference between Felix and Festus, right? Festus was not a procrastinator. Felix was. We talked about that last week. Just three days into office, he travels to Jerusalem. Do you see that? That was an important trip for Festus to make. He needed face time with the influential Jews in Jerusalem. He wanted to kind of mend the bridges that Felix had burned there probably. He wanted to gain favor with his constituents, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. And know what, notice what they throw out at Festus when they first see him, the first chance they get. Luke tells us that the Jews laid out their case against Paul. They hated Paul. It had been two years, and the first chance they get with the new leader, a mover and a shaker like Festus, they don't hesitate to bring these accusations back up against Paul. They had not forgotten about him being in Caesarea, right? Those, those two years Paul was away and, and in custody in Caesarea, it didn't, things didn't improve with their feelings toward, toward Paul, right? It got much, much worse. They obsessed over it daily, getting at, at Paul, I imagine. So, so notice things keep getting worse for Paul, don't they? Not only did you have this new leader who Paul didn't know, who didn't know Paul and, and who is trying to get in good with these Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, but we learn here they continue in their hatred toward Paul and that hatred had done nothing but just fester and grow over the two years that Paul was in Caesarea. Notice that not only had they grown in their hatred toward Paul, we also learn here they get together and they plot and they put together another plan to kill him as well. That, that brings us to our next point. Another difficulty that Paul is faced with was that there was a second plot made to take Paul's life. Look at the end of verse 2 through verse 4. And they urged Festus, asking as a favor against Paul that he summon him to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. 
Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So notice here that the Jewish religious leaders were using their influence once again like they tried to do with Claudius Lysias, the tribune in Jerusalem, like they tried to do in the passage we looked at last week with Felix, like they did 20 plus years earlier with Pilate in crucifying Jesus. They, they used their influence and they're trying to persuade Festus. They were taking advantage of the new guy, right? Festus was just a few days in, and I want you to notice once again we see proof here of Paul's innocence. It says they ask a favor of Festus against Paul, that he'd be brought to Jerusalem. Festus had no legal obligation to do so, but they're trying to twist his arm, using their power, trying to force Festus's hand. And think about Festus again. No ties to Paul, right? He, he didn't know him. He definitely wanted to do things differently from Felix, right? To remain in the Jews' good graces, right? But notice, whatever reason, for whatever reason, which we know what that reason is, right, believers? Look at the title of the sermon. He decides that Paul be kept in Caesarea. Now, God probably worked in and through the fact that Paul was a Roman citizen to, to influence because no one wanted anything to happen to a Roman citizen on their watch. So he decides that Paul stay in Caesarea, which is good news for Paul, right? Because we learn in verse 3, they're planning an ambush to kill Paul. So Paul finds an unlikely ally yet again in another Roman ruler. But as many of you know, believers, God is behind this, isn't he? We have said this over and over again through our study of Acts. We see it all throughout Scripture. Listen, kings and queens, rulers and authorities are pawns in the plan of God. Do you realize that? They're pawns in God's plan. God is working here through them, through wicked rulers, through good rulers. He works through both to keep his man safe so that Paul can go on and be a witness for him in Rome. And believers, do you know the God's at work in this way today? We often don't act like he is, do we, as believers? But I guarantee you, he is. Though we are to do our part, we're to be faithful on our end. We should not be fearful about what happens in this life. Because we serve this God, the God of Paul, the, the God of the Scriptures, the God who is at work in this way, the God who uses the actions and attitudes of good men and bad men, works in good situations and through bad situations for his own glory, for his own purposes, to his own end. He works in this way throughout biblical history, throughout world history, and he is at work in this way today. Let that set you at ease this morning, believers. We're not to be fearful. We're to be faithful. That's the call of, of God's people in Scripture. Well, though we know God's got this, right? He's in control. Paul's not out of the woods yet. He is faced with more difficulty in this passage because Festus does not completely close the door on the Jews when it comes to Paul. Notice the next point. Festus allows for them to bring more accusations against 
Paul, the accusations made against Paul. That's the next point. Look at verse 5. So, said he, let the men of authority among you go down with me, and if there is anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. Let's stop there for just a minute. So notice Festus doesn't completely shut the door on the Jewish religious leaders. He says, hey, I'm headed back to Caesarea. Why don't you let the men of authority go with me to bring these charges against him, and we'll see if there's anything to this. We'll see if there's anything wrong with Paul. So Festus invites the most powerful, the most influential Jews to come to Caesarea. That's what the word translated men of authority means. They were probably also some of the most zealous of Jews, the ones who wanted Paul dead more than any. So you have these men of authority invited once again to bring these charges against Paul. And at first glance, it just seems as if the the odds are stacked heavily against Paul here. But look at what happens in verses 6 through 8. After he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Underline that. That they could not prove. Verse 8. Paul argued in his defense... Neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. So we we see here that they brought these same charges against Paul that had been brought against him a couple of years earlier when Felix was in power. They were arguing that Paul was a troublemaker, that he had committed offenses against the Jews, he had broken their law, he had desecrated the temple, and he had committed offenses against Caesar. They were saying, once again, he's an enemy of Rome, an enemy of the Jews, enemy of God. He's broken civil laws and religious ones. But they had one major issue with all of these charges. They had no proof. And like I said last week, I don't know much about law, but I know this. If you don't have proof, you don't have anything, do you? They didn't have anything. Paul, again, argued in his defense, and he showed that he had committed no offense. So again, Paul stood up against their best, the most powerful and influential of Jewish leaders, and he held his own. He showed that they had no proof, and the reason they didn't is because Paul had not done any of these things they were accusing him of. So once again, Paul stood against the best and the brightest from Jerusalem and prevailed. But his problems were still not over. There's one more issue Paul was faced with, and this is the issue of Festus wanting to send him back to Jerusalem to be tried there on these charges because he wanted to do the Jews a favor. That's the final point here. The plan to send Paul back to Jerusalem. Look at verse 9. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, not because he believed Paul was guilty, by the way, but because he wanted to please his constituents, right? Said to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? So notice Festus does something kind of interesting here. Festus is trying to play both sides to an extent like 
Felix, but he is also trying to bring this issue between Paul and the Jewish religious leaders to an end by having Paul tried in Jerusalem, which would make the Jews happy, right? Before himself, before Festus, which he thought might be considered fair by Paul and the other Christians. But you know and I know that Paul would have been in danger of going back to Jerusalem because there was this plot that had been made to kill Paul along the way. So he offers this up to Paul, but notice what Paul says. Look at verses 10 and 11. But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. Festus knew he wasn't guilty. He's actually going to say that in the passages to follow that we're going to look at in the next couple of weeks. If then I am a wrongdoer, this verse 11, and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Paul is calling for justice to be done here. He is saying, I'm standing before Caesar's court, before his representative, where I ought to be tried. I've done no wrong to the Jews in Jerusalem, so there is no need for me to return there. You know I'm not guilty of anything. If I, if I was doing anything that was deserving of death, I ought to die, but since I'm not, since there is nothing to these charges against me, Paul says, I appeal to Caesar. And Paul, because he was a Roman citizen, could do that. He could do that. He had the right to do that. Look at verse 12. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his council, answered to Caesar, you have appealed to Caesar, you shall go. And here we're going to be in Caesarea for the next couple of weeks, but here in a couple of weeks we're going to see Paul sent on the road to Rome. Because of his Roman citizenship, because there was no proof that Paul had committed any crimes against the Jews in Jerusalem or against the Roman Empire, Festus sent him on to Caesar. So get this. Paul was spared in spite of this new governor of Judea who did not know Paul and wanted to build bridges that Felix had burned with the Jewish religious leaders and in spite of the fact that Paul was hated by these influential Jews from Jerusalem and in spite of the fact that they had plotted a second time to kill him and did their best to paint Paul as an enemy of Rome and an enemy of the Jewish people and in spite of the fact that Festus wanted to do a favor for his Jewish constituents in Jerusalem by having Paul sent back there in spite of all of these things and more, Paul was found innocent once again. He escaped this murder plot once again because he was a Roman citizen and appealed to Caesar. He was therefore sent on to Rome. The odds were stacked against him, right? But I hope you don't leave here today thinking that all of these things were simply coincidental. If you've been here with us more than a few Sundays, you should know better. No, the Lord told Paul in Acts chapter 23 that he was going to be his witness in Rome. And here we see God working in incredible ways against all odds in and through people and circumstances, good and bad, through his invisible hand of providence to get his apostle 
up out of Caesarea and on the road to Rome. God's great providence is on display here. Do you see that, believers? And again, get this, he's at work in this way today. God has not changed. Believers, he is at work in the midst of the mess. He's working through the good and the bad, through the best of circumstances and the worst of situations, for his purpose, for the good of his people, and for his own glory. I hope that encourages you this morning. What a wonderful message for us where we are today, right? Let me end with this. We've been talking a lot this morning about God's great providence and what that means for his people. It means for us believers that we are safe and secure eternally no matter what happens in the here and now. It means that God is at work through the good and the bad in the midst of the best of circumstances and the worst of situations for his good and for his purposes and for the sake of his people and for the sake of his own glory. But if you're here this morning and you are not trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, if you are not a child of God, if you have not been made right with him, you know what that means for you? You are standing against this great God who is at work in this great way. God is clear in his word that if you are not right with him through Jesus, you stand against him. And if this is you and you continue down this path, I want to tell you right here and right now, and I I can back this up biblically, defeat is certain for you. Why? Because God is sovereign. And he is working all things toward his own end. If I'm describing you this morning, if you're here, you're not trusting in Christ alone for your salvation. You have not been made right with God through faith alone in Christ alone. I want to ask you this morning, how are you going to respond today? I pray that you would turn from your sin. Turn away from going at life on your own in rebellion against God and turn to him and give your life over to his son, Jesus. Make Christ your Lord today so that you can be at peace with this great God so that you can move from being a condemned sinner to a forgiven saint so that you can move from being an enemy of God's to being a child of his. If you've never made this decision, pray you would today. Let's pray.